Hey, you're listening to the Upper Room Podcast. To learn more about Upper Room, please visit URDallas.com. Um, I, if you have your Bibles, open them to 2 Chronicles 26. We're gonna start there, and then we're gonna hop over to 1 Peter chapter 5. So two scriptures, 2 Chronicles 26, and then we'll hop over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, I, I feel like I have a word for us as a community, um, a fatherly word, um, a, a corrective word, a, a word that, that's been weighing on my heart for several weeks, if not several months. I've personally been sitting in this, and, and it's been directing me. It's, been, it's really been, been, been helping me as a leader um, lead us and follow the Lord. And I, I feel like it is, it's really for us as a community and a body. I hope this word hits the heart of our body, the heart of the upper room community. I know we have a lot of people on the periphery, a lot of people that are checking us out and visiting, and we're really excited that you're here. But this morning, I'm really speaking to the core family of the upper room. I'm speaking to those that call this home, those that are planted, those that are, are serving, those that are volunteering, uh, our elders, our, our core team, our prayer leaders, our musicians. I really feel this is a word for us. And, uh, and so I want you to put your hand on your heart, and, and I want to ask the Holy Spirit to open your heart and give your heart ears to hear uh, what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us this morning. So Jesus, would you do what only you can? I, I really believe you, you came with joy. You came with, with joy today. And, uh, and Lord, you opened up our hearts. I just feel the, the room is so open this morning. And I believe it's because you, you now wanna insert your word, Lord. You want the sword of your spirit, Lord, to pierce and divide and cut and to do what only it can, Lord. The living word of God, it is active. It has the power to transform. It has the power to remove lies and deceptions. It has the power, Lord, to liberate hearts. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you do what only you can do. Proverbs says, the horse prepares itself for battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. And Lord, the horse is ready this morning, but victory is yours. I know that, Lord, it's not about giftings. It's not about preparation. It's about you, Holy Spirit, invading this room and touching lives. And so I believe that you will partner with the preaching and proclamation of your word. You'll touch souls and do what only you can. And the sweet, perfect, beautiful name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So I'm gonna start uh, two things. We're gonna, we're gonna start in 2 Chronicles and we're gonna hop over to uh, 1 Peter. 2 Chronicles is a case study for us. It's about a king. After we look at the case study, then we're gonna look at a practical instruction that Peter gives uh, to, to, to a church, to believers. And I believe this practical instruction um, applies to the case study. So the case study is Uzziah. Everyone say Uzziah. Uzziah was 16 when he began reigning. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, gonna read the message version, specifically for one detail in the message version. I'll highlight that when we get there. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother was her from Jerusalem. He behaved well in the eyes of the Lord. So this says that, that he did right in the eyes of the Lord or he behaved well in the eyes of the Lord, following in the footsteps of his father. He was a loyal seeker of God. He was well-trained, and this is why I wanted to highlight it. The New King James Version and the NASB, it doesn't highlight it this way, but this is true because Zechariah was the priest serving alongside of Uzziah. And it says that he was well-trained by his pastor 
and teacher, Zechariah, to live in reverent obedience before God. And for as long as Zechariah lived, Uzziah lived a godly life and God prospered him. So Uzziah's prosperity was directly connected to the priestly authority that he was submitted to. And Uzziah, the exploits that he would do during his reign is he would extend the borders of Israel all the way to Egypt, which is, which is really, really far. Uh, he, architecturally, he would build these, what would be equivalent to, to, to sky rises, in Jerusalem, these fortified towers. He did it not only in the city, but he did it out in the wilderness for the flocks so they could store grain. So he was innovative from, from, from a building standpoint, from engineering, an architect. Um, the arms race of the day, Uzziah, Israel was at the front of it. He, he was actually creating, it says war engines or war machines that he would put in these towers. It says he invented spears and shields and they had slings and crossbows and all these things so that Israel was fortified under his leadership. There was something significant about Uzziah and, and what the Lord was doing through him. He was prospering in all of his ways. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 27, verse 15, look at this. <clears throat> It says, in Jerusalem, he made engines of war invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. Hence, his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped. Everyone say marvelously helped. So he didn't do it alone. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. Now, we do know this, that Zechariah, the priest, whom he was submitted to, died during Uzziah's reign. They don't know when he died exactly in this narrative, but I think it was between verse 15 and 16. Zechariah died because this man who was successful, this man who had become strong, this man whose fame was extending across the globe, something tragic happened in verse 16. It says, but when he became strong, his heart, became proud. When he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corrupted, corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. And he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And Azariah, who was the priest, after Zechariah confronts him, and he brought 80 other priests with him. They were valiant men. And in verse 18, it says, they opposed Uzziah. There's a proverb that's twice in the New Testament. It's in several places in the Old Testament. It says, God opposes the what? And he gives grace to the who? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And here's Uzziah, who is a successful man. It actually said he was obedient. He did right in the eyes of the Lord, but when he became strong, he became proud. And when he became proud, God opposed him. And God opposed him in the form of men in authority in the temple that were priests confronting him. And it says that, that Uzziah, when they confronted him, he had a censer in his hand, he was burning incense, he was bringing an offering before the Lord. It says that he was enraged. 
that they would confront him. And this word for enraged, when I think of enraged, I think of, I think of a madman. I think of someone that got extremely angry. But when I, when I started to like squeeze the word and, and look at what it really meant, um, it meant this. It meant there was an inward twisting or he was inwardly troubled or perplexed. And what I think happened to Uzziah in his success is that he became deceived. I think in his success, he actually thought he was being obedient to the Lord by offering this offering to him, and his conscience was not, was not affected by what he was doing until the priest confronted him, and he thought, there's no way these priests can be right because I'm right. And he stopped humbling himself before priests and humbling himself before men that he was walking with. And God opposed him. And in this moment, when he's inwardly perplexed and twisted and these priests are confronting him, it says in this moment that that leprosy hit his head. And it broke out right here, broke out on his forehead. And it would end up consuming his body. And he would be exiled to a leper colony where he would die. And he would die a leper and he would be buried as a leper. He was not buried where kings are buried. And the reason I'm, the reason I'm emotional, like I feel for Uzziah because I, I don't believe that's where he thought he would end. I don't believe that, that, that his intentions were to end up with leprosy and to die in a leper colony to be buried outside of royalty. But this is what deception does. Deception deceives hearts. If you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. And Uzziah was deceived, and God was confronting his deception through the priestly order that he had established. But he was enraged because he could not reconcile what they saw and what he was doing. There's a proverb, and it reminds me of our community. I'm going to read from two versions, it's Proverbs 27, 21. It says, the crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold, and each is tested by the praise accorded him. Proverbs 27, verse 21 in the message, this is the one that I really wanted you to see. The purity of silver and gold is tested by putting them in the fire, but the purity of human hearts is tested by giving them a little fame. At the upper room, I have, this, I have this feeling in my heart as a leader. I have this feeling as I look around and I look today and I see that the room's full. I go to the overflow room and it's full. I hear conversations throughout the week. I can look online and see the buzz and the momentum that we have. And, and what's sobering to me is, is that there's a level of fruitfulness or what some would deem success. And it's exciting. It's really amazing to see what Jesus has authored and what Jesus is doing. Within the last 24 hours, I I wrote them down. I had emails or DMs on my Instagram. (laughs) Is that what it's called? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I I had pastors from India Liverpool, England, Mexico City, Johannesburg, South Africa, Frankfurt, Germany, and several cities in the U.S. telling me they're being impacted by this culture and wanting, wanting us to connect relationally. It's amazing. I know. Woo! I'm so excited. 
but I'm so sobered. Because listen, I, I, I didn't do this for that. God, God's measurement for success is defined by one word, it's faithfulness. When we stand before him, he's not gonna say, well done, good and successful pastor. Well done, good and successful worship culture. Well done, good and successful worship leader. Well done, good and, he's not gonna say that. He's gonna look before you and he's not gonna see your gifting. He's not gonna see your influence. He's not gonna see anything but who he designed you to be and he's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were submissive to my word, you were submissive to my ways, you were obedient and you did what I asked you to do. The story of Uzziah has me sobered because his fame spread wide and yet fame tests the heart of a man. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, the real test of being in the presence of God is that you forget about yourself altogether. Abraham Lincoln said, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you wanna test a man's character, give him power. I feel the exhortation for us as a community in order to continue to grow in the grace that he's afforded to us because it's all because of his grace. It really is, it's all because of his grace. It's all because of what Christ has done. It's all because of his grace. I, I believe 1 Peter 5.5 5 is an instruction for us as a family. So if you have your Bibles, flip over to the New Testament. And if Uzziah was the case study then 1 Peter 5.5 5 is the instruction for us as a community. And there's one phrase in here that I want us to lay hold of as a family because this is a family word. This thing, this, this vision and this mission that is upper room, it is entrusted to a family. It is entrusted to men and women, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, to do life around the presence of Jesus. And there's one phrase I want us as a family to lay hold of and I'll highlight that phrase when I get to it. First Peter 5.5, 5, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders and all of you, here's the phrase, clothe yourselves with humility. This is my prayer for us as a community, and all of you, that we would clothe ourselves with humility. And the expression of that is towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse six says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. So interesting what he links to this. I'm gonna unpack this, but I wanna keep reading because he links anxiety to submission. This isn't, like we, we start we start oftentimes with the next verse, but the next verse is under the umbrella of you submitting to elders, submitting to one another, submitting to the mighty hand of God. And he says this, he says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You've heard that. How do you cast your anxiety? You submit. 
And after that, he gets into the warfare. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert, your adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. In verse 10, after you have suffered. <laughs> after you have suffered. Listen, humility is the pathway to suffering. Most of us don't like that. Most of us don't choose suffering, but humility positions you to walk faithfully through suffering. Most of us are saying, stop, ouch, hurts, no. But he's saying, clothe yourself with humility in your suffering. And look at what he does in verse 10. This is so powerful. After you've suffered for a little while. There's a time frame for it. The God of all grace, who's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, so he's tying it back in to verse five. The God of all grace who called you. When you come into humility, you come under the calling, and the God who called you, look at what he does. In his eternal glory in Christ, will himself. So God who gives grace to the humble will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Woo! Those four things are what all of you want, but the way to get it is through humility. Yes. That's amazing. But it hurts. I know. This is the way of the cross. This is the way of losing your life. This is the way of you reckoning yourself dead. It's humility that postures you to walk through the trial, to stand in the fire. And the promise is that he gives grace and that the promise, it's not, it says that he will exalt you at the proper time. That word for exalt, it's amazing. That word for exalt, it's somewhere in my 900 notes. Typically never have notes, but man, I just couldn't type out enough notes for this sermon. But it means, here it is. No, I can't find it. It's really good though. The word for exalt, it means, it means to honor, I know it is. It means to honor, to bless to make happy. It's this real like, mm, he'll exalt that person. So let's go back to the top. Let's go back to first Peter. Let's go back to verse five. Because I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna exhort us in three ways. There's three ways that we practically humble ourselves according to first Peter chapter five. And so I wanna walk through those three ways for you. And, and I think it's interesting that verse five starts out, you younger men. He's speaking to young men. Now, I, I believe this is the upper room as a whole. I know that, I know that, uh, I know that we have some, we're, we're getting older mothers and fathers, and I'm so thankful for that, but we are Millennialville. There's millennials everywhere. There are, man. Tonight is, is like millennial central. Um, if you're a millennial, raise your hand. I love millennials, by the way. I, I absolutely adore you. I feel like 
Holy Spirit is doing something fresh in your generation. There's such talk around you guys and it's because of what God's put within you. I believe you're Jacob's generation. You're gonna ascend the hill and we're gonna do it together. But listen to me, you younger men, you millennials, you younger men, and this goes for everyone. Listen, this exhortation is for you. This is not common talk out there. This is not common talk for this generation that's emerging. It is individualistic. It wants to be heard. It's entitled. And this thing that Peter's writing to younger men, it will it'll knock that thing in the teeth, man. It'll punch it in the face. It will, and it needs to be punched. Listen, because here's what God does. God anoints you when you're young. You're like, you're like out in the sheep field and you're, 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 you're like wondering what's my destiny, my purpose. The prophet shows up, he calls you from the back 40 and he pours oil upon you. And you go, oh my God, I'm anointed. What am I anointed to do? I'm anointed to lead. I'm anointed to preach. I'm anointed to do miracles. I'm anointed to do all these things. And he puts you back in the back 40. Like, I've always wondered, God, why did you anoint David when he was like, they think it was between 14 and 17. I'm like, why did you anoint him then? That's torture. Why not just wait till he's 30 when he comes into it and it's like, this is the day. Oh, there's the oil. I knew it would come and it came this day. No, 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 no. It started when he was 14. It started when, like, he's just hitting puberty. And he's like, I'm gonna be a man of God. I am gonna, I'm gonna lead the nation, these prophetic words over my life. You know what he does? He puts him in obscurity and then he puts him under a hard-hearted king. even though he was anointed, even though the word had been spoken. And I could walk you through twice in David's life, he had the opportunity to seize that office, but he refused to because he honored the anointing that was on Saul, because the anointing that was on Saul was upon him, but he knew in time God would exalt him. And man, he walked in submission, he walked in humility, he walked in lowliness, he walked forsaking his rights, forsaking to be right, and he honored Saul. It's a crazy study. So Peter, he's talking to young men, and I believe there's many young men in this room, man, and you have been anointed by God, and you're gonna do great exploits for him. But you're frustrated because you don't know how to get to there from here. And I wanna tell you, the way you get there from here is you submit your life. The way you get there from here is you figure out what the word submission means. Submission, it's so, so, so vital. Submission to authority. If you are going to be a person of authority, you must, must understand how to submit to authority. And in our day, in our hour, submission to authority, it's just not there. The way we speak about our president, not just Trump, but Obama, it started there. The way we dishonor the office, that the way things just fly out of our mouths about these appointed men. First Peter chapter two, he is speaking to them about honoring a pagan king who was killing Christians. He said, submit to him. Because you submitting to him is you submitting to the Lord. In 21, he says, you've been called for this purpose to submit your life. <laughs> it's how Jesus lived. He learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus submitted his life to suffering and he learned something through it. How much more do we have to learn? So, and I got through the first two words, you young men, you younger men. 
Likewise, be subject to your elders. So I, I really wanna hone in on this. Be subject to your elders. So the first, there's three, three different calls to submission. The first is to elders. And I, I believe, I, I, I'm not gonna get too in depth in this, but, but, but I believe this is you submitting your life to a local community. I believe this is you submitting your life to a local community that you're planted in, that you're surrendered to, that you're yielded and, and, and connected in. You're not just coming on a weekend. You're not just kind of flying by and cherry picking what you want, but your life is laid down and you are plugged in and connected to a local community. If it's not this community, go find one. And a part of you connecting to this community is you submitting to the authorities of this local body. Now, I love the universal body of Christ. I believe we're doing amazing things. The sin, 60,000 people in a stadium. I love it. Christianity in stadiums, I love the idea. I don't know what it looks like. It's like a head scratcher to me to figure out how we're gonna do it long term. But I like these big, big glorious outpourings where the spirit of God falls. But we're gonna need local communities that are healthy to carry it out. Listen, this this setting is the hope for our hour. And listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And it is so important that we submit to God's ordained authorities in this house. And the way we do that is we first and foremost do it with our words. If you're an elder, would you stand up? We have awesome elders. We love you. We are submitted to you. We're submitted to you. We're submitted to your leadership. We're submitted to you as shepherds of our souls. We know there's an eternal responsibility upon you that you will stand before the Lord and you will be rewarded for how you shepherd us. And we submit to you and we acknowledge that you've been ordained by God, anointed by him to shepherd us, to lead us, to mother us, and to father us, and we love you. Amen. So here's the deal. Let me, let me give you healthy authority because I, I believe authority, authority's been twisted. Authority's been abused. Some of you have submitted to churches and you've been hurt, and I wanna apologize for that. But just because it was dysfunctional then doesn't mean it has to be dysfunctional today. Just because you've been hurt by them doesn't mean you'll be hurt here. Actually, you probably will be hurt here. <laughs> and I'll get there in just a second. But here's, here's let, me, let me tell you what to look for in submitting your, your heart into a community. Because your, your potential or your life or your destiny or your calling or the gifts that he's given you, those can only come to realization and, and, and materialize based on the environment that they're submitted to. Authority draws forth potential. Authority draws forth what is within. The first use of authority, it's actually that I find in the Bible, it's, uh, it's Genesis 2.5. Can you throw that up there? Genesis 2.5. It's a, I hesitate going there, but I, I feel like it's just so important to, to, to lay healthy biblical authority. Um, so this is, this is a, a detail about the earth. This is a creation account. And, uh, and it talks about something wasn't happening on the earth. It says, now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. So were there trees on the earth? Uh, hello? No, were there flowers? Were there 
where there were there vines. There were no vineyards. There was nothing was coming forth from the earth. Now, here's what I believe in the scripture. I believe the potential of the earth was to grow trees, flowers, vegetation. But it was locked up, and it gives two reasons. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth. Now, God is a governing authority over the earth, yes? So God had not sent rain. He had not poured out water. And then the second thing is that he, uh, there was no man to cultivate the ground. So he hadn't created man yet. So earth was locked up because God had not sent rain and man was not cultivating the ground. Because the authority that would be upon the earth cultivating the ground and the rain being poured out would unlock the potential of what was within. And the truth is, this morning is that you are dust. You are made of earth. And you submitted to the reign and lordship of the Holy Spirit and spiritual authorities on the earth. They create environments where the key of the Holy Spirit can unlock your heart, your destiny, and your gifts, and you thrive in a community like this. So authority is to create a greenhouse where the growth and maturity and life that Jesus provides for us can grow in your life. It's not to control you. It's not to, to micromanage you and to put our, you know, it's just not that. It's not to tell you, do this, don't do that. It's to create a healthy culture and environment where you can be the best you as he designed you to be. Are you following me? So this is what I believe it, it means to submit and subject ourselves to a community like this. That, that, that's the fruit um, of it. <clears throat> So we submit to a local spiritual community. We submit to the vision. We submit to the direction. We serve. We know the vision. We're known by those that are in it. When I was, uh, when I was 24, the Lord called me to a very, very dysfunctional church. There was a three-way split. This was the most conservative of the three splits. I didn't know anything about churches at the time. I just knew my, I grew up Church of Christ and so this had Church of Christ on it and I went. And, uh, and man, these people put the fun in dysfunctional. It was crazy. It tr truly was. And they would even say that in this season, like the, the senior pastor they hired had a heart attack within like a couple of months and I was, that's where I cut my teeth preaching was, was, was in this season. But there was this man, there was this man named Skip and Skip was an elder at the church. And, and Skip, he was an old military man. He was in the, the, the Navy. I think he was a captain or something, but he was just a man of authority. He was a man of duty. And like he thought it was his role to make sure they were getting their money's worth out of the youth pastor. And so we didn't have a building, but they, according to him, they got us these two suites. Uh, again, senior pastor was gone, so there was a secretary suite and, and mine. It was kind of a... a Join suite, she had her office here, I had my office here. And I would get in about nine and I would leave around four. And by the time I got there at nine, Elder Skip was sitting in a chair in my office to make sure I was there at nine. And then I would start working and he would, he would, he would sit there, I'm, I'm not kidding, he would sit there for six to eight hours every day in my office for a season to make sure I was working. I promise you, it was so weird. And, and I'm like, I'm like manifesting, man. I'm like, I'm like, mm -hmm. 
food. It's like, really? We're gonna do this again? I remember I had meetings. One time I had, I had a, a youth volunteer in there and we're like praying and he's snoring in the corner. And she's like, what's he doing? I go, man, this happens every day. And so we were like praying louder, you know, see if we wake him up. But I was just like, I was like, man, Lord, I, it, was, it was just filing my soul. It was just like, oh, this is wrong. This isn't right. And, and I had talked to a couple of people and they, it was like they weren't listening. But, but, but here's what the Lord told me. The Lord, the, Lord, the Lord asked me this question. He said, did I call you to this church? And I knew, I knew the answer was yes. It was a yes. Then you submit to skip. You submit to skip. And I started looking at this scripture and I saw that, that Elder Skip was actually a tool for me as a 24-year-old man. If I would submit myself to him, I was submitting myself to the Lord. And I saw that I would receive grace through submitting myself to this man. And I promise you, I began to get excited when I saw Skip in that room. I did. And I would submit to him. And, and I would go, Lord, I know you're gonna reward me through this process. I know that you see my heart. No one else saw what was happening in that place. It was 20 years ago. But, but from that, I solidified a call in my heart. I determined I was not gonna quit. I determined that the Lord called me there and he's gonna call me out. And I would stay there four years. Like it just did a lot in my heart to entrust myself to the Lord and his authority through this. And then, and then, and then seasons later, Skip ended up being removed and, and thank God it was awesome. But, but Skip ended up being removed. But, but I, feel like, I feel like I had such currency in the spirit because of the posture of my heart that, that when I was called out, I was, I was given a job at 27 to oversee close to 300 young adults. And they wanted someone that was, they wanted someone married in their 40s with lots of kids. I was 27 single. I didn't have a degree. I didn't, like, there was no reason I should have gotten this job. There were like 90 resumes for it. It was a very sought after job in our denomination. And man, God put grace and favor upon my resume and I got that job. And that job, those people there that I met ended up being the core of the upper room today. It's just phenomenal. But I look back at Skip and I look back at submitting and I see the thread of the Lord's hand through that one man, what the Lord postured me for. And I was so frustrated at the time, but yet now it's one of the greatest lessons that I had, how to submit, even when being wronged, even when being misunderstood, even when I'm like... Dude, stop sleeping in my office. I, it was this cross that I bared, but I found life through submission. And I just feel like many of us wiggle out of that. And if we wiggle out of that, he's gonna put us back in a place where we're gonna have to learn it. But if we wiggle once, we'll wiggle again. And many of us have just been wiggling, 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 wiggling. And the Lord wants you to be planted. He wants you to teach you how to die. He wants to teach you how to remain in soil so that you can grow where you're planted. And this soil's really, really good. But the hard thing is, is that, man, people are imperfect, and people that you submit to are imperfect. People will do you wrong that you're submitted to. What do you do when that happens? You entrust yourself to the Lord. It's just so, so crucial. So grace flows through submission. I, I believe uh, there's a difference between commitment and submission. I'm not going to get into that. For time's sake, I'm, I'm gonna hop to the next one. Um, so he says, submit to, to elders, local people, and then all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. So not only do we submit to spiritual authorities in position, but we also submit to those that we're walking with. We submit to community. 
We, 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 and the, the word for humility, it's actually servitude. It's actually not thinking about yourself. It's, it's coming under others. It's seeking to understand them. It's seeking connection with them. And he says that this is a choice. Clothe yourself. It's, it's very directive because humility does not come natural. Humility is something that you have to choose. It's something that, that you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. I, I was up this morning with my four-year-old at 5 a.m. and he would not submit to dad. And it was frustrating. <laughs> he, wanted, he wanted chocolate milk. Right? That's all he wanted was chocolate milk. I'm like, son, now at four in the morning. So by 4.15, he had chocolate milk because I had to sleep. But, but that's where I'm growing as a parent. But, <laughs> but, but like I'm just saying, submission and humility, they, we're not born with that. It's something we have to choose. It's something, it's the way of the cross. It's like, it's something that we have to reckon and understand. And when we're confronted with wrongs, when we're confronted with offenses, when we're confronted with anger, when we're confronted with resentment, when we're confronted with being overshadowed and overlooked, it's in those moments that we clothe ourselves. It's in those moments that we put it on. It's in those moments where I, where's my wardrobe? There it is. Okay, now I can rightly respond because I've put on on my body, on my heart, in this moment, I've chosen to clothe myself with humility. It's just so, 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 so important as a community that we do that. <clears throat> and here's what I'm learning is that, is that oftentimes those things that come up in our heart, it's because of the imperfections and weaknesses of others. We don't submit to people because they, des they earned it. We don't submit because, because uh, we submit to them because we're submitting to the Lord. And, and when we do that, we fight for connection with one another. Because if I don't put on humility and I put on one of those other things, it brings disconnect and discord. And that's demonic. And that's where the prowling lion comes and he isolates you and he chews you up. You see, we don't fight for perfection. We fight for connection in the midst of the things going on in our hearts. Humility, clothed, connects us to one another. I refuse to walk away from this table. I'm gonna fight for this relationship and that we can stay connected in humility. And when two humble people come to a table, even with differences, there's hope because honor can reside there and grace will flow between them. It's so vital and it's so missing in our hour. We think we have to agree upon everything. Listen, there's people that I totally can disagree with and yet sit at the table and honor them and love them and see the grace of Jesus flow between us. But as soon as I demand to be right, a dam comes up and the grace stops flowing between me and you. And it's just my heart that we learn the power of submitting to one another. There's a flow of grace that comes to our relationships when we give up our right to be right. Are you following me? And then, and, and, and so in, in humility, your weakness is exposed. In humility, you stop hiding. You're not defined by your strength. You're actually exposing your weakness. Community is a safe place for you to be weak. Part of humility is humiliation. It's the same word. And so sometimes it's humiliating to be humble and to admit that you're wrong, to show up as you are and to expose those places that you don't want to expose, but God's grace is sufficient for those weaknesses, and it flows in community. Like, I was with, uh, I was with someone 
uh, the other day and they were telling me that their marriage is it's, it's really struggling and they're at, they're at ends and for the first time they've opened up. And like, this is the first time I've opened up and I'm like, this is the first time you've opened up and yeah, we're, we're, we're thinking about getting a divorce, we're thinking about separating. I'm like, this is the first time you said, yeah. And they're like, we're doing all that we can, that's what they said. And I'm like, well, that's not good enough. You're not called to do all that you can. You're not called just to give your best to your marriage. Your best isn't sufficient for your marriage. You need other people's best as well. Like for Lo and I, we, we were giving our best to one another and our best was when we were at our worst. And we had a bat phone. It was, uh, it was called Truman Spring and Jane. They're over there. This was before Upper Room existed anything. We were newlyweds. And we would always like threaten each other like, You, you want me to make the call? You, you ready? You, 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 they're on my, you, you, yeah? And so one time, Larissa, she like, she didn't even threaten me. She's like, and so she calls, she calls, she calls Truman. She calls Truman and uh, we went over to their house and she's just like fed up with me and she's like, you know, and she probably should have been, but we go over there and I'll never remember Truman. Like she's listening, she's telling him all that we're doing and, and, and then I'm talking, and then we sit back, and we're waiting for the verdict, you know? <laughs> and, and Truman, Truman, Truman goes right at Larissa, just beelines in at her and goes, Larissa, and, and, and Larissa, I could just see her. She's like, <laughs> she couldn't believe he started addressing her when he probably should have been addressing me, but the Holy Spirit in Truman addressed her and I watched Larissa humble herself. I watched Larissa just go, you're right, Truman. And something shifted in our marriage. Like it's been a long time since we used the bat phone. <laughs> it has, but listen, me and Larissa, our best aren't enough. We need Jane and Truman's best in our marriage. We need, we need, we need Sarah Beth and Aaron's best in our marriage. We need Phil and Melissa's best. We need, we, need, we need Danny Silk and Gary Chapman's best. Like we need all the resources we can get so that we can live a marriage that we can't get on our own. Why? Because we're humbling ourselves in weakness to one another. I, I just bought a home. I'm moving in this week. We're going to Midlothian, which is awesome. And uh, someone was looking at the pictures of my home and it's a beautiful home. I'm super excited about it. And they made this comment. It was strange to me, but I guess pastors get get get. It looked that funny when we buy homes, but they're like, man, Upper Room must be paying you well. And, and I was like, I kind of laughed at it. I was like, ah, ha, 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 ha. And I said, no, this has nothing to do with what Upper Room's paying me. You know what it has to do with? It has to do with, in 2011, I was renting, and I was tired of renting, and I wanted to buy a home. And so 2011, I went to two businessmen that I respect and love, and I humbled myself, and I said, listen, I don't know how to manage my finances. Listen, I'm great at reading the Bible, I'm great at preaching, I'm great at leading, but I do not know how to manage my finances. They said, well, what do you wanna do? I wanna buy a house soon. Where do you wanna buy a house? I think I wanna buy a house in Oak Lawn. Well, how much money do you think you'll, and we start walking through it and we realize how much we have to put down. We realize the season that we can buy a home. And so we bought a home in like 2013. And then in 2013, we sold in 2015, we made like 30% on the home, which was a lot of money. It was like the right time to buy. And then we moved to Oak Cliff, and you don't know anything about Oak Cliff, but Oak Cliff's booming. 
And so we submitted the money that we made in that one home and we put it in this home. And so when I knew I wanted to buy a home out and get more acres, I went to some other businessmen and I said, hey, listen, I'm not the best at managing finances and making decisions like this, so here's my situation, what do you think? And they began calculating and laying it out and then we ended up buying this home, which is a dream, awesome home, but it has nothing to do with what I'm making here. It has everything to do with the decision to submit my finances in 2011 to men that were wise and faithful stewards and me humbling myself, I found grace through them that now provides a blessing that I could not have had unless I connected with them back in 2011. This is how it works. We humble ourselves. I was in a meeting this week with a bunch of parents and we're talking about parenting. We're throwing out ideas and topics and uh, we're just trying to encourage one another in humility. We're talking about parenting woes and man, I got two, one of them's in here, I'm not gonna share, but... I just love this one right here. She's amazing. She's staring at me. Anyways, my sister-in-law spoke up and she started, she started talking about parenting and her approach to parenting. And like, man, faith hit my heart in regards to parenting. The way that Nacy Littlejohn talks about loving her kids, it came alive inside of me and I got fresh vision for loving and, and, and it, just like, it just like came alive and we have been so connected the last couple of days because of things that I learned at my house the other evening when I was submitting my parenting to someone else, and this is just how it works. Like, we need one another. I'm so glad Corey Russell's here. Where's Corey? Corey's been praying. Does he not sit in here when I preach? I'm gonna call him out. <laughs> what? Oh, he's going to Colorado. He's flying. Um, I know that. He's preaching in Upper Room Denver. I'm gonna send him this tape, though. <laughs> But I love that Corey's here. Corey's been interceding for 18 years at the International House of Prayer. Man, I got a lot to learn from Corey Russell. We've got a lot to learn from him. We need his revelation. We need his teaching. We need it. We need it to be deposited in us so that we can grow in understanding in that that he has. And guess what? Corey's coming going, man, I love the culture here. And he's humbling himself saying, I want to know what it's like to be family. And I want to know what makes this culture this culture. And so there's mutual submission and grace flows between two people. But listen, if I show up and I'm like, Corey, this is mine, bro. <laughs> you know, that, that's what we do in comparison and like, like this is just stupid. This is stupid. Our mindset is so self-centered and so like, it's just stupid the way we approach this stuff. The kingdom is so much bigger than upper room. It's huge. It's huge. And so we just got to get over ourselves, get over our giftings, get over where do I fit and what's in it for me. And we humble ourselves before one another and we'll get to where we can never get to. It's amazing. I am, man. I don't know how else to preach. Let me give you 14 attributes of humility. I know it's 12 o'clock. I'm going to wrap this up. Let me give you 14 attributes. I got these from, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm just going to give you a list. I ain't going to preach through it. <laughs> Guys. Come on, get hungry. Where's your hunger? I'm gonna go another hour. No. <laughs> I got 45 more minutes. No, I really don't. I don't. I just wanna give you, you can take these home and talk about them at Luby's or whatever. So hey, 14, 14 attributes. I got these from Chris Volatin. Chris, Chris, Chris has some good stuff on him. So you must remain teachable. Can you be corrected? Can you be directed? Can someone speak into you? We have to be able to be corrected without defending ourselves. Stop being defensive. Stop playing defense specifically with your spouse. That's for me. We must rejoice when others are celebrated. 
we must have a thankful attitude. Thankfulness, thank, you can't truly be thankful without being humble. I'm convinced of that. Hum, humility is a precursor to thankfulness. Humility and thankfulness go hand in hand. Uh, no job can be too small for you. We don't always have to be right, even when we are. Go ahead and write that one in. We don't always have to be right, even if we are. Many of us being right is, is, is why we're wrong. We should naturally seek the advice of others. We actually do pray and not just talk about it. You can read it. I can't read that one again. That's for me. I'm, I've, I wrote these out for myself, you know. Uh, we must freely admit our flaws, mistakes, and failures. We have to live to help others succeed. We can't easily be offended. We must refuse to live with a sense of entitlement, thinking someone owes us something. You know what you're owed? You're owed death. Like, like until you get that, you cannot walk this thing out. You're, you're owed nothing. 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 You're owed nothing. It's by his grace and his mercy. Oh, all right, I won't preach that. We have to be quick to forgive, not hold grudges. We have to be confident in who we are and content with who we aren't. Everyone take a picture. <laughs> These are Chris Volatin. I got them from him. Everyone say that. This is Chris's, so. Thank you, Chris. So, all right, so. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. God's opposed to the pride, but gives grace to the humble. So this is the way that grace flows to you. There's a grace that's only afforded to you in community. There's a grace afforded to you only in community. If you don't think God is speaking to you in this season, you're not listening to others. Grace flows through other people. Grace flows through community. Grace flows through those that we walk with. Grace flows through humility. I wanna end with this verse, and I'm gonna read it, give you two thoughts, and we're gonna pray. Um, therefore, so God's opposed to proud, give grace to the Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that may he exalt you at the proper time. I believe us humbling ourselves and submitting to elders, submitting to one another is us submitting to the hand of the Lord. This is actually where it all begins. It begins with you first submitting to him. I have young adults all the time after sermons like this, don't do this today. They come up to me and they're like, will you disciple me? Will you father me? No, I won't. Straight up, I won't. Because you listen, listen, here's what's happening in your heart. You're being microwaved with a revelation. You're being microwaved with it. And what you need to do is you need to sit under the spirit and the word. You need to humble yourself in that place. Because if you had been humbled, in the word and in spirit, you probably would have found someone to do that. But because you're coming under the revelation of this word in the spirit, you're like, I want him to do it. And that's microwave. I've tried it. It's a dead word. This, this can be such a dead word. Submit yourself to the Lord. Submit yourself to the word. Submit yourself to the spirit and watch a mother and father come find you. Seriously, start with him. Because many of you want to submit to me, but you don't want to submit to him. You'll submit to me, you'll submit to someone with wisdom, and you'll be fed, but because you're not going to him, it won't last. 
It's just like feed, putting a seed in, it's like putting a seed in, in weird soil and it'll get forwarded by worries and concerns because you weren't in it for anything but what you could get by spending time with me and I'm not gonna afford you that. Listen, it took, a lot, it took a lot for leaders to get in the place that they're in. It took a lot of laying their lives down, submitting to the word, submitting to the spirit, submitting to seasons. Like this thing did not happen overnight. This, this, this community upper room, it wasn't just a cool idea. We didn't get good worship leaders and music and the big shebang. This is, this is lived, lived in soil where we've learned to die together in humility, fight together, not be offended, war together in season and out. And you want us to sing your song. It's like, go somewhere else, man. That, that's, it's, it's, it's like, it's not, even, it's not even on my radar to put you up here. I'm not even thinking about when can I get you up here. Like, start in the bathroom. Start cleaning something. That's where Joel, I, I know I'm being, I'm being straight up, but I'm being straight up in love. But that's where Joel Figueroa started. The first time I met him, he was cleaning the toilets. Hey, who are you? I'm Joel. Where are you? I just graduated CF&I. I didn't even know he led worship. There's something about taking the low place. There's something about not, not forcing yourself in because if you force yourself in, what got you in keeps you there and no one wants to be around that. But if the grace of Jesus promotes you and the grace of Jesus puts something upon you and you get established in that because of the grace, there's life that flows in that and then when exaltation comes and promotion comes, you know there's no way I could have gotten here on my own. I got here because I submitted. I got here because I served. I got here because I took the lower road. I got here because I didn't stay offended. I got here because it wasn't about me. And all of a sudden you find yourself like longings fulfilled. Desires realized. This is how it works. It's the upside down kingdom. The calls to die. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt. I found it in my notes. Exalt is to raise to dignity, honor, happiness. And it says at the proper time, meaning it's not immediately. Meaning you may have to suffer and your commitment won't keep you there. The difference between commitment and submission is commitment is based on your strength, submission's based on his. Commitment's based on what you do. And if you're just committed to this place because, oh man, I'm committed because I believe in their vision and I like his preaching and I'm committed, commitment will only last until you're offended. Commitment will only last when you realize I'm not perfect. But submission, actually, when those things start coming up because you're submitted, you die a new death so that you can live a new life. This is the word, this, this exaltation is the word described in the cross. Jesus said, I will be lifted up. It's this same word. This is the way of the cross. This exaltation is the way of the cross. He exalts those that are actually dead. That's what he did to his son. His path, your path is no different than his. It's the way of the cross. It's the way of knowing Jesus and his suffering. It's the way of being conformed into his image. This is the Christian life, man. It's not about songs and sermons. It's so much deeper than that. It's about the knowledge of a man who, who lived this before you, who clothed himself in humility, who chose a body, who chose a lowly manger, who chose to walk the Judean plains and sleep in the wilderness God Almighty confined the timeless being bound by time. Like, get the real reality of what, who Jesus is and what he did. It's, God. Jesus said, come to me, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. We have to learn his humility. 
And his humility comes through the fire. It comes through trial. It comes through offense. It comes through misunderstanding. It comes from wanting to be resentful, angry, bitter, suspicious of others. Like all these things that are manifesting in your heart, it's the way of the cross. It's an invitation to die. It's an invitation for you to get over you. And we get liberated and freed from ourselves and each other so that we can see him rightly. Amen and amen.